Hang on a sec. Be patient with me here just for one second. Okay, good morning. How are you doing? Um, I'm Dan Pack. I'm one of the elders here um, at, at Windsor Road. And um, as some of you know, Randy's been out of the country. He was in Nepal for, uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, he's back now. Safe. He, he came back safely on Tuesday, uh, but he's taking a little bit of a, a much-deserved um, break. Um, and so he asked me to fill in for him this morning. Um, so I don't do this every week. So, uh, you know, please be patient with me, if you could. And um, actually, today we're going to be talking about a passage uh, from James, chapter 5, uh, verses 7 through 11. And that's on page 856 of the Bible on the, on the pew in front of you. And I just realized I forgot my Bible. So uh, if you'll be patient with me for just another second. Um, I know what some of you are thinking. Is he ever going to get this sermon started? Hope he gets it started before the second coming. But all I can just say is uh, be patient, brothers. Be patient. Okay, uh, James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Be patient, brothers. And be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James 5, chapter, James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. So he starts off by saying, be patient then, brothers. What's this then? What's the context that he's talking about? And in order to understand where James is coming from with these verses, we need to go back to the passage that that Jason taught about last week, verses 1 through 6. And if you remember last week, um, James was not talking to the church that he, was, that he was writing this letter to. He was talking to uh, these rich landowners who were taking advantage of, you know, to put it politely, taking advantage of uh, the poor, the, the, the farmhands that were working for them. And, and these guys, this was, a, this was a condemnation that James was, was giving them, right? I mean, James said things like, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. And he said, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So this is, a, I mean, that's quite a word picture, right? And this was, as Jason said, uh, this was not a turn and burn message last week. It was all burn. That's, um, that's pretty much all he had. It was just solid condemnation. And so today what James is doing is he's turning back to the believers. Um, and he's talking to the very people who were being oppressed in this way. And, and he's saying something like, you know, look, you guys, I know what's going on. Okay, I know you're being cheated. I know you're being stolen from. I know you're being thrown in debtor's prison. But, but be patient. God is going to take care of those guys at the end of the age. Right? And in the meantime... What, what words of comfort or encouragement does James have for, for these people who were, who were being oppressed? He says um, in chapter, uh, sorry, in verse 7a, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Be patient. 
really, James? Seriously? That's the best you can do? I mean, I don't know how these first century believers would have reacted to that. Maybe, um, you know, maybe they would have, have uh, known what he meant, but, but I know how I would have reacted, or, or at least how I would have been tempted to react. It, it probably would have been something like, you know, seriously? Be patient? You mean, you know, remember what you wrote back at the first part of this letter, James, right? You remember? You said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right. Not lacking anything except my job, my money, and my freedom. Really, James. Seriously. You see... I lost my job this week, James. Or maybe it was, I didn't get paid this week, James. Or I'm in debt up to my eyeballs here, James. And and what all you could offer me before was that I should consider it pure joy. And now you want me to be patient? I mean, that's easy for you to say. Maybe those guys were, you know, the the people that were reading that letter letter in the first century were, were wiser than me, or, or maybe they had more faith, I don't know, but, but that's the way that, that I tend to react to these kinds of verses. Um, but if you think about it, if we don't do it God's way, what are the alternatives? What are the options? Well, one thing that we could do is we, you know, we might be tempted, and, and these guys may have been tempted, to, um, to react with anger and violence. Uh, maybe they thought that they should um, you know, lash out against the oppressors, rise up and revolt, um, take matters into their own hands. And they knew of, they had almost certainly heard of, of uh, a couple of Jewish groups who, who were doing exactly like that. There was, uh, there was a group uh, known as the, as the Zealots, and the Zealots were uh, a group of Jews who believed that they could, they could bring about or help bring about the coming of their Messiah by, and, and, and also the, the restoration of the land to Israel and the rebuilding of the temple and all of that. They thought that they could help bring that about by revolting against the Romans. And uh, there was a group, there was another group called the Sicarii. And the Sicarii, that, that, that means basically dagger men. And they were named for these short daggers that they would carry hidden underneath their robes. And uh, they were assassins. They were they were known for sort of stealthily sneaking through uh, the large crowds that would gather for, view- for Jewish festivals or, or other types of large gatherings. Um, and they would use those knives to, to kill um, their enemies, the Romans or, or Roman sympathizers. And so the people that James was writing to knew about these groups, and maybe they were thinking the same kinds of things. But how did that turn out? How did it turn out for the, for the zealots and, and for the Sicarii? Um, they had some success. But you remember what happened in 70 A.D.? The Romans came in, came back in. They, they, they had recaptured Jerusalem to some extent, but then the Romans came back in in 70 A.D. and totally trashed the city, destroyed the temple, uh, and it still hasn't been rebuilt to this day. So it didn't work out too well. Um, and, you know, the same kind of things, the same kinds of reactions happen today. Maybe you've heard about some of the, the violence that's going on in, in Nigeria and there's a city in Nigeria, right in the center there, in that red circle. The city's called Jos. It's kind of a strange name, but Jos is actually an acronym. J-O-J-O-S. It's Jesus, our Savior. And in Nigeria, 
the top, the, the northern half of the country in the green is pretty much Muslim territory. And then the white portion of the country on the bottom is primarily Christian territory. And right there in the middle where those two meet um, is where Joss is. And that's where these two cultures um, often clash. And so just last Sunday, you may have seen in the news, uh, there was a report about um, a large band of, of Muslim men who raided a, uh, Jewish, or sorry, a Christian portion of the city of Jos. And they, uh, in the middle of the night, and they went around, they went through the streets firing their guns into the air, and when the people would be living there would be frightened and, and run out to see what was going on, uh, then these men would cut them down, literally cut them down with machetes. Um, they murdered everyone that they could find, men, women, and children alike. Um, but what you have to realize is that's just the latest incident in a long series of clashes in Joss. It goes back for decades. Uh, and this one was actually, this, this event that happened last Sunday was actually a, rep- a reprisal for violence that had occurred back in January. And in that case, a, a, group of, a large group of Christians rioted because the Muslims were planning to build a mosque in, on Christian territory. Okay? And in that instant, instant, incident, again, two or three hundred people were killed, but this time it was all Muslims that were killed. And they were killed by the Christian police. So, Am I saying that, that these Christians last Sunday got what they deserved? They, they were asking for it? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that they weren't listening to James. James says, be patient. Be patient in your trial. These, these Nigerians were not doing it God's way. Um, James already warned against this kind of, of, of angry reaction. If we go back to chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, it reads... Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. See, anger and violence are not God's way. It's not going to accomplish anything, or at least it's not going to accomplish what God desires. What God desires is right here in this verse. He desires a righteous life. Um, he wants us to work on our hearts. Now, does that mean that Christians just sit there and take our lumps? I mean, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, walk the extra mile. Is that what James is talking about when he says, be patient? Well, yes and no. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But first I want to talk about uh, the second alternative that, that James give us, gives us. And that's grumbling. If you look in verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9. James says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So notice he's talking about grumbling, but he's not talking about, just about grumbling. He's talking about grumbling against each other, grumbling against our brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, James, you know, we don't really know exactly what gripes this, the, the church that he was writing to um, would have had. Um, but maybe they were sort of projecting their frustrations onto each other. Um, you know, they, they were bringing their stress, their, their, their stuff home with them and, and lashing out or to church with them. Um, maybe they were disagreeing on how to deal with the oppression. You know, maybe there was one group who said, well, we should fight back. And there was another group who said, well, we should bring the authorities in. And there was another group who said, well, 
you know, maybe we should just be patient. And instead of focusing on what they needed to be focusing on, they were fighting with one another about which was, which was the best way. Maybe they were blaming one another for their problems, you know. One of the, one of the issues that we saw in verses 1 through 6 was that um, James said that, that the workers were, weren't getting paid their wages. Um, and so maybe they were saying, well, you know, if you had showed up on time today, or, or if you had worked harder today, then he would have paid all of us, and it's your fault that we're not getting paid. Now, regardless of, of exactly what they were, they were doing, James is warning us about, about turning on each other. And, you know, that's how we react sometimes um, when we're under stress at, at work or at school. We bring that stress home with us, right? And we end up snapping at our spouse or at our kids or at our roommates. Um, or, for those of you who are parents, um, you know, maybe, maybe one of your kids has been sick. Um, you've been up all night mopping up puke. Um, it happens. And... Um, you know, you haven't had a good night's sleep in a couple of days, and, and you end up taking that out on, on your friends and your family. Or maybe it's something that happens here at church. Maybe you've got an idea for a new program that you want to start, and um, it's going to be just great. I mean, it's really going to reach people and, and change their hearts. And then you find out that, well, you can't get the room that you wanted to host it in. Or maybe it's that, well, there's no... There's no budget for the child care that you need. And so you have to go to volunteers, and, well, you just can't find volunteers to do the child care. Or maybe it comes to that night, you know, you're for the kickoff event, and, and not enough people show up. And, and so how do we react? We say things like, well, the staff here just doesn't support my ministry. Or, um, you know, or the people here at Windsor Road, they just don't care about their own spiritual growth. And we end up talking about each other and fighting about each other. Um, but James already warned us about using our tongues like that. Remember, going back a few weeks, he said that, um, <clears throat> that you know, this, this um, fighting and quarrels is like, uh, is earthly and unspiritual and of the devil. And he, he likened it to, to friendship with the world as opposed to friendship with God. But more than anything, that kind of carping, that kind of infighting, distracts us from what we're supposed to be doing. What we're supposed to be doing is building strong families that, that love God and that, that love each other. We're supposed to be building a strong church family. And, and in fact, we're going to talk a lot more here in a little bit. We're supposed to be building the kingdom of God here on earth now. Um, and, and if we're not doing those things, James tells us what will happen. He said, um, he said don't grumble, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Remember, going back to verses 1 through 6, that was, that was clear judgment. I mean, that was 100% condemnation on those guys. But let's not forget that, we're, that we will all face judgment when Christ returns. If you don't believe me, look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Paul writes, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So we'll all face judgment for, for how, we, um, how we react in, in the face of trials and, and suffering. Um, so anger and violence are not God's way. And fights and quarrels are not God's way. But James tells us what God's way is, and it's patience. Um, but patience is something we don't do very well today. I mean, as a society um, we just don't have a lot of patience. And I think a lot of it is because all of the t- 
technology that we have around us. Um, you know, these days I can, I can pull out my iPhone and push a couple of buttons and, you know, whether I'm right here in, in, in church or whether I'm out on the interstate somewhere, you know, with a couple pushes of the button, I can be talking to anyone that I want, really, around the world. Um, and it wasn't all that long ago, when I was a kid, um, the phone was connected to the wall. There was, there was a cord, right? And, and when you wanted to make a phone call, you had to, you had to dial, right? You, you, you were making sparks, right, to make a phone call, and you hated people with zeros in their numbers because you had to go all the way around. And, and you know, we just don't, we don't have to do that today. Or, or, or how, about, uh, how about this? You've got a, a colleague at work, or, um, or maybe it's a friend that's, you know, a neighbor that's just come back from vacation, uh, the colleague at work has been on a business trip or something, and, and you ask him, so, you know, hey, how did, how did the trip go? And you get a story, something like this. Oh, man, it was awful. It was just like the worst trip of my life. First of all, we were 20 minutes late boarding the plane in Chicago, and then, and then they made us sit on the runway for 40 minutes. They turned the engines off, man, and it got hot in there. I thought I was going to suffocate. And then, and then we had this bad headwind. Uh, they said something about, uh, about weather in Denver. I don't know. But when we got to Los Angeles, we were over an hour late, man. It was awful. Really. <laughs> but did you fly through the air at 500 miles an hour, right, sitting in a chair six miles above the ground in a metal tube? You know, you experienced the miracle of flight. You went across, all, you know, halfway across the country in an afternoon, 2,000 miles in something like six hours, even with the delay. And, and you're complaining because you were late for an hour. If you had to get in your car and drive nonstop, it'd take you at least a day and a half, depending on how fast you drive, but it would take most of us a day and a half. If you had to walk it, like they used to have to do. I mean, we're talking months, two months, three months. Some of your party probably would have died before you got across the Rockies, <laughs> right? And you're complaining because you're an hour late. You know, have a little patience. Have a little patience. Um, or here's, here's just one more. Um, you might sometimes occasionally find me um, at Atlanta Bread Company or at Panera um, working, working, doing some research. Um, while I drink my coffee. Um, and, um, you know, they both have internet connections, but um, it turns out that I prefer Atlanta Bread. Atlanta Bread, the internet connection is, is, is pretty fast when it works, which is only about 50 or 60% of the time, but it's, but it's fast. But if you go to Panera, it's very reliable connection, but it is so slow. They have the slowest internet connection in the world. Okay. Let's think about what, what I'm complaining about here. Let's think about this. So I'm sitting at Panera Bread with my laptop. And over here, halfway around the world, in Japan or something like that, there's a computer with a bunch of ones and zeros on it, right? And when I click this button in Champaign, Illinois, these ones and zeros start moving through some wires until they get to this antenna. And then the antenna sends these ones and zeros at the speed of light up to space, okay? Bounces around in space a little while on some of these satellites. Then they get beamed back down to Earth, move through some more wires, probably buried under the ground until it gets to uh, Panera. 
And then it moves, those ones and zeros go through the air once more to, to my magic box sitting on my lap in front of me um, that's not hooked up to anything. Um, and, and that magic box magically converts those ones and zeros into my data, like this. Right? <laughs> and, and I'm complaining, right? Because I need to see this faster. I, des- I deserve to not have to wait to see, you know, I can have a cheeseburger? So, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are like that, but I mean, that's the kind of guy I am. I'm the kind of guy who will open the door on the microwave when there's still two seconds left on the timer, right? I mean, that burrito is not getting any, fa- any, any hotter in the, next, in the next two seconds. So, we live in a fast-paced, click-of-the-button, microwavable society of impatience. We have instant oatmeal, instant credit, instant messaging, instant coffee, instant news updates, instant communication, um, instant everything, anything you want. And, and because of that, we tend to look for instant solutions when we're in trouble, right? And, and anything that's not a quick fix, we tend to ignore. So when, when we're facing trials, the world, in the form of our family or our friends or TV or books that we read, you know, whether it's Oprah or Joel Osteen or whoever, you know, they, they tell you to give up, well, not Joel Osteen, that's a different story. He's got a different message. We'll get to his message in a minute. Um, but <clears throat> um, they tell us to, to, to give up, right, in our trials. Um, they say to give up on the marriage or, or find a new job. Or, or take the easiest escape, even if it's, even if it's not an ethical way out. But, but that's the world's wisdom. That's not, that's not God's wisdom. God's wisdom is patience. But then we have to ask, well, what is James talking about here when, he, when he's talking about patience? How, like I said before, uh, you know, is he talking about the kind of patience that's just sitting there doing nothing, turn the other cheek kind of patience? Or is there something that he wants us to do while we're waiting? And, and so there's more than one kind of waiting. There's, um, for example, there's what I'll call pizza delivery waiting, okay? That's where you, you know, you pick up your phone, you make the phone call, order your pizza, um, and then while you're waiting for it, you go about your business. You know, maybe you th- throw a load of dirty clothes into the uh, into the washing machine, or maybe you, maybe you call a friend, um, but you're not too worried about the pizza, right? Somebody else is taking care of the pizza. The pizza will get there when it gets there. That's not the kind of waiting that, that, that James is talking about. And there's another kind of waiting that, that I'll call maternity ward waiting room waiting. Um, and th- this doesn't happen so much anymore because the father's usually right there in the delivery room, you know, with the mother. But in an old movie or something, you might see the father, you know, pacing back and forth in the waiting room, biting on his nails, staring at those swinging doors, waiting for the nurse to bust in and say, it's a boy or it's a girl, and, and everybody's happy. And, and that's not quite it either. I mean, there's elements of what James is talking about in, in that kind of waiting. There's the um, you know, sort of the, the excited expectation for what God's going to bring about. Um, but the nail-biting and the pacing, you know, that's not the kind of waiting that James is talking about. Um, so just so that we know exactly what kind of waiting he is talking about, James gives us three examples. And the first example is the farmer. 
um, right there in in verse 7. He says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Now, when the first century um, believers read this, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. But we need to sort of think through this a little bit to, to, to get the whole picture. And one of the first things you have to understand is that the growing season occurred over, occurs over the winter months in, the, in, the, in, in Palestine, in that area of the world. And so when he's talking, that's why he's talking about the autumn rains and the spring rains. Some of your uh, translations might say the late rains and the early, or the early rains and, and the late rains. But regardless, what he's saying is the farmer has to wait, first of all, for those autumn rains that happen somewhere in late October to early November. Um, he has to wait for those to soften the soil, right, so that he can get his seeds in the ground. And then he has to wait for the late rains that come in March and April to mature the crop, get it ready for harvest. <clears throat> and in between, it's out of the farmer's hands, right? There's nothing that he can really do to make the crops grow. I mean, you can't go out there and you know, pull them out of the ground. You've just got to wait for God to do his thing with, the, with maturing the crops. But that doesn't mean that the farmer's just sitting back doing nothing between, between planting and harvest. Right? I, I personally didn't know exactly what, what a farmer does here all summer long. Um, so I asked my friend Jerry Cassida, and, and Jerry filled me in a little bit on, on what he does um, during the summer months. And there's, there's quite a whole list of things, but they all boil down to really one thing. What, and what do you think it is? What is a farmer doing all summer long? Preparing for the harvest. That's right. Everything is about the harvest. Jerry told me that he gets one payday a year, and he's going to do everything he can to make sure that payday comes in when it's supposed to and, and be as big as, it, as possible. I mean, he does, he's doing preventive maintenance on, his, on all of his harvesting equipment. He's stocking up on spare parts. He's got to have spare tires, spare oil, spare filters, um, hydraulic fluids, nuts and bolts of every possible size and shape. Um, he says that his shed out there looks like a, looks like a hardware store. Um, he's getting his bins ready, so he's got somewhere to store the grain when, it, when uh, the harvest comes in. And he's lining up contracts, so he's got somebody to sell the grain to. Um, all this expecting, waiting for, preparing for the harvest when it comes. And it, it wouldn't have been so different in the first century. The tools were different, um, but, but they were still thinking the same things. And I, you know, I'm sure they spent time praying. And I'm just as Jerry prays about his harvest, but they were out there getting ready. They were out there pulling weeds. They were out there, um, you know, hoeing, um, knowing that only God can make the crops grow, um, but also getting ready for when God delivers on, on, on what he's promised. And that's, the kind of ja- the, that's the kind of waiting that James is talking about, working towards what God has promised us while we're waiting. The second example is prophet patience. And so if you look at uh, James 5.10, he says, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, James doesn't say which prophets he's thinking about, but it might have been Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah um, had a ministry of about 40 years. During that time, he was ignored, he was beaten, he was put in shackles, and he was thrown in prison. Um, so he didn't have, uh, he didn't have a, a great time, I don't think, during minist- doing ministry. And during that 40 years, you know how many people listened to his message? How many people believed him? 
In 40 years, he had two converts. Right? So not a lot of fruit. But he kept going. He kept going. He was speaking in the name of the Lord. Maybe he was talking about, maybe James was thinking about Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah in, in the Bible that we have doesn't, doesn't say what happened to Isaiah at the end of his life. But there's a tradition from the, uh, you know, an intertestamental tradition that, that, that was well known in the first century among the Jews that Isaiah was sawed in half because of his, uh, because of his preaching. Maybe he was thinking about Daniel. I mean, we all know Daniel, and you know, he got thrown into the, into the lion's den. But regardless of what prophets he was thinking about, the, these prophets um, suffered because they were following God's mission. You know, they, 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 the, James says that they spoke in the name of the Lord. If you go and read some of these books, they were denouncing injustice. They were calling out Israel because of her sins. Even when the person that they were talking against was the king, and even when the things that they were saying was the, were, were the cause of their suffering. That's the kind of waiting that James is talking about. And then the third example is Job. He talks about Job patience. So in verse 11, he says, As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. And let's just stop right there for a second. Um, isn't it easy to consider, when other people persevere, isn't it easy to consider them blessed? Right? But when it's me that has to persevere, it doesn't seem so much like a blessing. But nevertheless, um, James says, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now, those of us who know James story, or Job's story might think uh, that that's kind of an odd choice. I mean, why in the world did he choose Job? as an example of patience. Job was grumbling and complaining from chapter 3 to chapter 31. He hardly stopped yapping to God about the kinds of things, you know, about his complaints. But the point is that he never gave up his faith. Right? He never let go of his hope. Never let go of the hope that God, or his faith, that God was just and God was going to deliver. And in the end... <coughs> In the end, God praised him for his right speech. Right? So, um, so he endured. He held on to his faith. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of waiting that James is talking about. So you know, putting all these examples together, the point I'm trying to make is that patience doesn't mean that I sit around twiddling my thumbs, um, you know, waiting for the phone to ring and hoping for my, my ship to come in or, or you know, just praying for, waiting for, for God to do something for me. And, and, you know, I want to be really clear about that. I, I'm not saying, and James is not saying, that, you know, that if I pray hard enough and I have enough faith and I wait long enough that God is going to, uh, you know, is, is going to bring me out of my suffering. That, that's not the message here at all. We don't preach the prosperity gospel here. There's no name it and claim it at Windsor Road. Um, and, you know, if you think about just, just look at the Bible. There, there are too many examples of people for whom it didn't work out that way, right? I mean, okay, Job, Job's story has a happy ending, right? In the end, God restored to him um, double what he had. He got back his oxen and his camels and his sheep and, um, and his goats, um, and he got a new family. But the prophets mostly didn't have a happy ending. I mean, like, like Jeremiah, they were ignored. They never saw the fruit of their ministry during uh, during their lives, um, and many of them just, you know, like Isaiah, had a, um, 
had an unhappy ending as well. Um, and the farmer, so the farmer, the farmer doesn't know how, doesn't know for sure what's going to happen in the harvest, right? Um, some years he's going to have a good harvest, and some years he's going to have um, just enough to get him and his family through until the next year. And some years it's going to be even worse than that. So, so just to sort of sum up these examples of what patience is, and this is the important part, elbow, elbow your neighbor and wake them up, because this is the part that I want you to hear. Um, this is the big idea for today. Patience is acting in faith while waiting for God to act. Okay? Patience is acting in faith while waiting for God to act. It's patient endurance. James says, James says in verse 8, be patient and stand firm. It's, he's talking about being strong and remaining faithful like Job. And he's talking about following God's leading and, and speaking out against, impress, against oppression and injustice and sin like the prophets did. And patience is active, just like the farmers. Patience is working hard, getting ready for the harvest, even though, even though the harvest is in God's hands alone. Patience is acting in faith while waiting for God to act. So, um, one more thing before I'm done. Um, we can ask ourselves, who are we in this story? Right? And if, you look, if you look at James 5, or even really the whole book of James, um, what character or what group of people um, is most like, or are we most like? And so I'm going to assume for today... For today's purposes, I will assume that none of us in this room are the rich oppressors. Okay, um, if you are, stop it. Okay, but I'll assume that you're not. Um, and 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 I know that some of us are like are like the suffering um, uh, farmhands, uh, the, the the believers that we read about in verse seven through eleven. I mean, we see it we see it in the prayer requests every week. I know that there are I know that there are some of us who have who have lost jobs, and, and some of us that have been out of work for a long time, maybe. And I know that there are, there are some of us that are in recovery, and there are some of us that are still gripped by addiction. And there are some of us that, uh, that have been cured. There are some that are in remission. There are some that are in chemo right now. And, and there are some that have just heard the diagnosis. And so I know that there are a lot of us... Um, that are, that are suffering. But as I was preparing for this week and thinking back over recent events and things, um, I was really convicted by something. Um, and just as a, for disclosure, if you're convicted too, don't blame me. It's the Holy Spirit talking, okay? Um, but, you know, I, as I think about myself, um, I've got a good job. And if I stop complaining about it long enough, um, I realize that I have a really good job, right? I've got good benefits. Um, I have more than enough money. I'm pretty much healthy. My family is healthy for the most part. And so, so where am I in this story? And, and this is what came to me. See, this is the world that we live in. We live in a world where We'll spend $30 million on the ever-exciting giant inflatable beavers <laughs> and, and fake snowboards 
with red blinky lights all over them. But there are people that are waiting in this world. Where $30 million would rebuild her house, that whole street, and probably a good portion of their neighborhood. See, we live in this world where companies will spend $3 million for a 30-second spot to try to convince us to buy their junk food. And there's people that are waiting in this world where they don't even dare to dream of a Snickers bar and where $3 million would feed a village of 50 people for 100 years. Right? So James says to be patient. And we'll be patient, Lord, Lord willing. But uh, we'll be patient until the Lord's coming. But these, that kid may not make it that long. And so my point is that we have work to do. Like the farmer who's waiting for the harvest but spends his time preparing for the harvest, we have work to do. <clears throat> like the prophets, we have work to do. We need to be about the business of building God's kingdom here and now. You know, it, it's, it's easy for me to say, for example, it's easy for me to say, well, James says to wait until the Lord's coming. And, you know, the world is never going to be right and just in this, in this age. And there's always going to be suffering in the world. So why, you know, I can't do anything about it. There's no point in trying to bring justice to the world now. Well, what if I said to you, on the other hand, what if I said to you, well, I'm going to be made perfect and holy in the resurrection. And until that time, um, I can never achieve sinless perfection. So I'm just going to sin and sin boldly. Right? Well, you'd probably tell me that that's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. Because we know that being a Christian means being obedient to Christ now. And being a Christian should produce a transformation in our lives now. Putting off sin now. Right? It's the same kind of cop-out about the suffering and injustice in the world. I mean, if I were to say something like that to you, you could remind me that, that, yeah, in one sense, the kingdom of heaven will not be here and will not be complete until Christ returns. But in another sense, Jesus taught that he had brought the kingdom already. And it's in between that already and the not yet that, that we are called to work to alleviate suffering and to, to, to alleviate oppression and injustice in the world, even though we know that his kingdom won't be complete until he returns. So there's a, there's a famous pastor um, named N.T. Wright, and uh, he said it best, and so I'm just going to read you uh, a quote from, from a book of his called um, Surprised by Hope. And in this section of the book, he's talking about um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in, in 1 Corinthians 15, James has just written this long, beautiful chapter about the resurrection and about the, um, you know, the glorious new world that, that we'll, we will inhabit and about the, you know, the new and perfect bodies that, that we'll have at that time. And how does Paul finish that chapter? He doesn't say... Therefore, sit back and relax because you know God's got a great future in store for you. It's not what he says. After telling us all about this wonderful future, he finishes in, chapter, uh, in, in verse 58, 
He says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So talking about that, N.T. Wright says, and I'll just read, you, read this to you. What you do in the name of the Lord, what you do in the Lord is not in vain. You are not oiling the, machines, the wheels of a machine that is about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's about to be thrown into the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of nurture or care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings. And if I can interject here, um, every backpack full of school supplies that, that we give out at Salt and Light, every bag full of groceries that, that goes out of the, the food pantry here, every bedroom over at a woman's fund that has a brand new coat of paint and a brand new mattress. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. What we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. So as James said, be patient. Stand firm. Endure. Persevere. But remember, patience is acting in faith. Here and now, in this world, building God's kingdom while we wait for God to act. 